Freedom Pact. Tonight, we are delighted to announce that we have a very special guest on. Tonight, our guest is Patrick Flynn. He is the author of the book that is called How to Get Better at Almost Everything. This is a book which will be a link to buy it will be in our show notes below. We'll have links to all of Pat's social media. So, Pat, please tell us in a society which it seems to fetishize becoming a specialist and going to get, go becoming a generalist as you talk about in the book is almost is almost goes so far against the status quo in modern society what was it that made you want to write this book which goes against conventional wisdom yeah well thanks for having me on guys again it's a pleasure to be here and the short answer but the most honest one i can give is really a a series of failures in my life is what caused me to first question the status quo what i realized as i was growing up and i had an interest in many different things uh, music arts martial arts stuff like that is regardless of how much time and effort i put into a lot of these activities for example when I was young, I, I started with uh, electric guitar. I, I really wanted just to be the greatest guitar player that I possibly could. I was influenced by a lot of the virtuosos, Steve Vai's and Joe Satriani's and Paul Gilbert's and all them. And I wanted to be as pyrotechnic as I could on the fretboard. And what I realized is when I got into high school is despite sometimes practicing six, seven, eight hours a day, is okay, I was, I was probably almost certainly the most technical guitar player of all my you know of all my peers but then we get to the battle of the bands and i would never win I mean, i could put on a flashy guitar solo and that would ooh and ah some people but then the people that would take take home the prize were the people that were you know they were decent at guitar but they were also decent at singing they were they were good at performing entertaining the crowd they had a lot of different skills that in combination even if they weren't the best at any one gave them the kind of competitive advantage that i thought i was going to get as a specialist by just getting better and better and better at the guitar and that was one of the first times where i really started to question the approach and i started to think well here's here's something that i'm deeply interested in and what i really want to do is just make music that people enjoy listening to and i'm at a point where i'm probably never going to be the best in the world despite how hard i work at it and is there really any point because people don't seem to be as interested in who the fastest who the fastest guitar player is anyways aside from other guitar players so that was where the first seeds of doubt were were planted for me was was in music and then later on once i really got into into fitness a lot of what attracted people to what i was doing wasn't that i was the biggest or the strongest or the fastest i wasn't the best at any one fitness thing i was i was good to great at a lot but i was also able to write i have a background in writing so i was able to talk about fitness in a way that was that was interesting that was compelling that was entertaining and that was an example where again a simple skill stack where even if i'm not the best at either one those skills in combination being more of a generalist gave me the advantage this time over people who were bigger stronger leaner or faster than me so that's how the idea first started to emerge through both a long series of failures and then some accidental success and that's when i'm like okay i should probably think about this more there seems to be something here hmm. I, I mean I, I i can i can really resonate with that um pretty much exactly how you described it there i mean similarly to you um 
my first love was guitar actually and i remember just as one of the guitarists you mentioned there i remember being in in high school and learning how to play uh 10 words or crowd chant by joe satriani and i'd learn it i'd learn it exactly you know to the just exactly how he plays it and i thought wow i thought you know I, this is going to blow everyone's mind and i would i would play these things in school and people would be like yeah i get you know i guess that's good and i was thinking no but you don't understand that the technicals you know the technicalities in it but but people were more interested with someone you know as people who have a bit of flair a bit of this and that so i can really resonate with you on that one um so in the book you you talk about you know you're being guided by two principles essentially uh minimalism and generalism uh can you just explain those a bit further in depth and why they're so important to you yeah, gladly. Let me just say one more thing about the point you brought up because I think it's a really good one. Is There's a point in specialization, and the example you gave on guitar I think highlights this, where once you get to a certain level at something, you lose appeal with most people. And then only other specialists really understand what you're doing. And I think that's definitely true in music, but I think it's equally true in, in other arts and disciplines as well. You know, most people who aren't guitarists or serious guitarists, they just don't have the understanding to appreciate something like, you know, like a Joe Satriani album. They might think it's cool, but they're probably going to be more taken in by a Dave Matthews song or something like that. So so that's I'm glad you brought that up because it, I think it highlights a, a part of the message that I'm I'm trying to put out there. Now, as for generalism and minimalism, the way I like to to discuss that is, you know, generalism is what we're going for. It's the outcome. Minimalism is the approach. So the idea of being a generalist is, hey, don't worry about being the best in the world at any one particular thing. Rather, focus on getting good to great at a lot of different things and then combining skills to form competitive and creative advantages in life. It's not only a lot more fun, it's way more effective. Trust me, be a generalist. And then minimalism is all about, well, okay, now how do we how do we do this? How do we develop skill? And this is where I think focusing on something like the minimum effective dose, focusing on those vital few efforts for whatever the skill is, making sure you're identifying those and practicing those things so that way you're as effective and efficient as possible. So if, if, if you ask me what minimalism means, it's really that perfect cross-section between effectiveness, which is doing the right things, meeting efficiency, which is doing things right. Now, I don't think anybody can ever hit that perfectly. It's an ideal, but constantly thinking through a minimalist perspective can be really helpful for getting better at various skills. So for example, one useful exercise to imagine is this, you know, hey, if I only had 15 minutes a day, three days a week to get better at the guitar, what should I be doing? Or if I only had 15 minutes a day, three days a week to start getting in shape, like the best shape possible, what should I be doing? So you can start to impose artificial bounds or restrictions around practice sessions to really force you to be as effective and efficient as possible. And that's something that I, I learned as I started getting interested in more things and you know, started becoming busier in general is, okay, I could play guitar for seven to eight hours a day, but looking back, I probably wasn't being all that efficient. I was probably noodling around with a bunch of stuff that really wasn't challenging me, that really wasn't causing me to improve. But now if you only give me an hour a day to practice, which is still a good amount of time, I'm way more focused. You know, I, I, I'm making sure that I'm improvising, I'm, I'm isolating, I'm integrating, I know exactly what I'm working on. It's a lot more structured, it's a lot more planned. So taking a minimalist perspective, even if you still put in a ton of effort and time, is very helpful for just increasing efficiency. 
I think it's very interesting what you said, but and it sort of matches up to a book which I read recently called Essentialism, where in the book, um, Greg McKeown says, if you only accomplish one thing today, what's the most important thing that you can do? And I think that ties in really nicely with what you were saying. Do you have any tips on how you can practice that minimalism? Like, what would it look like? Yeah, so I have um, I have the four R's in the book, and those those R's are repetition, restriction, which I just talked about a little bit, resistance, and review. So repetition, most people get, even if they don't apply it. So there's a difference between understanding something and also doing it, and and I kind of hammer that in the book. It's like, look, most of you know if you want to get better at something, yeah, you, you actually have to practice. So so reading this book or reading about skills isn't enough. At some point, you're going to have to start strumming chords. You're going to have to start throwing sidekicks. You're going to have to start lifting some weight, and you have to practice the things you want to get better at specifically. So you can't just you can't just be haphazard. If you want to get better at something, you need to do that something specific and you need to do it often. Frequency is a very important variable in skill development. Perhaps one of the most important right next to intensity. So that's that's repetition. You want to think about that. The next is resistance, which is where okay, I think people understand this in certain situations like weightlifting, but they don't necessarily apply it to other skills, say uh, music or, or writing. And that's the idea of whenever we're, we're training or practicing, we want to be brushing up against the guardrail of failure more frequently than not. not. Not absolutely every single training session, but we need to make sure that we're imposing demands that are going to cause an adaptation to increase our skill to increase our capacity now this is obvious in the weight room right if you want to get stronger you have to put more weight on the bar you have to increase demands through intensity density volume frequency and so on we have our classic training variables but how do we do that with 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 music well at some point we're sitting down practicing we have to move to more complex passages or we have to crank the metronome up to to some various degree so you know it's going to look a little bit different for every skill, but for me, when I'm practicing guitar, I want to be playing something at a very at a certain speed where I'm 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 getting about eight out of ten, pretty close to pretty close to perfect. If I'm falling too far below that, it's probably above the level I should be practicing at. If I'm nailing it perfectly every time, then it's definitely below I need to move up. So this idea of resistance, you know, brushing up against those guardrails of failure, really really important for being efficient in increasing skill. Review uh, is is the is the one that should be far more obvious than it is. You know, you can't just catch your mistakes as you're making them. So you have to have some type of way of looking back at the stuff you produce. You need to edit your writing. You need to listen back to the music you record. You need to film yourself moving, whether you're exercising or or skateboarding or performing martial arts, so you can go and catch blemishes sometimes major that you you just aren't aware of as you're practicing as you're performing and then beyond that some type of external review coaches mentors are the quickest shortcut and the best advice i can give i understand some people are sometimes hesitant there but anything that i've had success in i've had success because i've had people guiding me because i've had people giving me feedback that i was unable to give myself and then lastly is the restriction which we hinted at briefly before if you only have so much time to do something, what are the essentials? You talked about that book, Essentialism. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that. I think it makes a lot of really important points, right? Like what is the – if I only get this one thing done, if I only practice this one new passage on the guitar or I implement this one new thing in my business, would I be happy with that? Would that push me closer to my goals? 
so I like the idea of thinking, you know, if you only have 15 minutes a day, three days a week, would you, what would you do? Because that just gets you focused. And then obviously you can put a lot more time into that in real life. But think, but little exercises, thought experiments like that can really help you own in your practice sessions. So that would be a general overview of my recommendation for people. Hmm. Again, I can resonate um, using the example of, like you said, martial arts. I, I love martial arts myself. And I think, you know, in, in Muay Thai or something with resistance like if you're just sparring or just kicking the bag you you know you like you said you're noodling around but once you're drilling you know checking kicks over and over again until your shins are you know or in i don't know like brazilian jiu-jitsu again like i you I, I always learn far more when i'm being tapped than when i'm tapping somebody um again in terms of review uh, I mean, once you when you're sparring, you may feel you know your technique's beautiful, but once you actually film that and watch that back, you think you know that was pretty poor. <laughs> so I I resonate with those. It's true. It's it's difficult, and let's be honest here. Like nobody wants to listen back to the music they record. The one of the most painful things is going back and reading something you wrote yesterday, or or watching your sparring session because it's you're always your own worst critic, right? Like nothing could be more embarrassing. Like no human can can fight that badly. Really, is this a joke? But you have to get over it at some point. Everybody. Um, Pretty much everybody can't stand hearing or seeing themselves. I, I, I imagine that maybe Morgan Freeman is the one example. I can't imagine he ever hated the way that, that, that he sounded. But most of us aren't born Morgan Freeman, so we just have to do the best we can. <laughs> no, exactly. You also uh, state the importance of being able to learn anything quickly. How do you do this and, and what advice can you offer our audience on learning to uh, pick things up quickly? Yeah, well, I think I think a lot of the advice that I that I just gave certainly applies to the learning side as well. Um, but you need some foundations, right? You need some foundations in in logic and reasoning. So, you know, I have my formal background in education is is philosophy and, and economics, uh, and I always found that having a background in logic was was really really useful for me. I mean, logic is just understanding the rules of reasoning, making them explicit. Most people operate according to these rules more or less intuitively. Some people do it a lot worse or better than others. But having a having a formal study of that, it's kind of like your rudiments in music. It's kind of like having your music theory, right? It, it won't necessarily make you a great musician, but it's, it's definitely going to help your chances. And once you, once you can do that, once you understand the kind of canons of deductive and inductive reasoning, and you can work through premises and you can evaluate arguments, it's going to help you sift through so much of the garbage that's out there and, and help you to focus in on stuff that is actually valuable, that's worth that's worth learning, that's going to take you from a state of understanding less to understanding more, and not constantly be, be suckered in uh, by just noise or useless information or things like that. So if, if you want to be a better learner, you, you really need to you, – one, you need to, to read the classics. You need to start with Plato and go through Aristotle and Aquinas and, and – through Adler and Lonergan and all them, like these these great classical thinkers. Uh, but then, but then I would say, oh, right, get your get your feet wet with a formal study of of logic and things like that. And there's some there's some good starting texts out there. I would recommend something like Socratic Logic by Peter Kreef because you're not just learning how to think; 
in straight channels, which is really important, but it's, it's going to teach you how to, how to read, which most people really that like reading is a skill. Most people can pull information out of a text, but to, to be able to grapple with a book that is challenging and really move yourself to a higher state of understanding that takes, that's the technique, you know, in the same way that there's techniques in martial arts or skateboarding or things like that. It's something that needs to be studied. It's something that needs to be practiced. Actually, in fact, if I can recommend another book, not to promote too much of my competition here, right? But um, there's a wonderful, wonderful book called How to Read a Book by Mortimer J. Adler. And I would say for anybody who is seriously interested in becoming a better learner, aside from the kind of foundational stuff I cover in my book, that is a, is a must read. Yeah, it's called How to Read a Book. It sounds like a silly title, but it, I promise you it'll change everything about the way you go about reading and learning we really we really appreciate that because something which we usually ask so we usually ask our guests is is if they um could name any books which have positively influenced their lives and you've given some great uh core reading ones i'm just wondering are there any other books which have had such a big impact on your life yeah um well here's here's one way you can leverage how to read a book in the back of that book or it might be the front depending on the edition you get mortimer j adler will have his great books and great ideas collection honestly i think every human just needs to go through that and it'll, it'll go through the most significant and important thinkers of, of human thought and human history and it will it will challenge you in a way that you've probably never been challenged intellectually before and it will expose you to so many different philosophical thoughts uh, and ideas, scientific thoughts and ideas, um, I would honestly just take that challenge. I would start with how to read a book, which will give you the, the sort of rudimentary equipment that you need to take that challenge. And I would start working through the great thinkers and the great books. Again, you know, start at Plato, maybe a little bit before Plato. Plato is always a good starting point. And then just work your way up through the contemporaries of the, of the like, stop. I hate to say this because my book is kind of a, a popular read, but at some point you have to stop reading like whatever's on the New York Times bestsellers list and read serious thinkers. You just got to, you just got to, you just got to increase the challenge, right? Like those books are fine starting out in the same sense that, uh, you know, everybody starts out with smoke on the water on guitar, but at some at some point we have to we have to do better than that, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with that. Um, you you're a big pro- proponent of skill stacking. Uh, could you just define this a bit more for us and talk to us how it can be done effectively? Yeah, so I'll go back to a few examples with with myself. The idea of a skill stack is that. Skills in combination, even if they aren't maximally developed, are often, if not always, more powerful than skills in isolation. So my example, again, I think helps to highlight this. I am not by any means the fittest guy on earth, but I do a lot of my business in the fitness industry. Now, I'm I'm very fit, not to be immodest about it. You know, I'm, I, I can do impressive things in the weight room, but I've never won a powerlifting competition, never even tried, never won a bodybuilding competition, never even tried, never took first place in an ultra marathon, never even tried. Um, but I'm generally very fit. You know, I'm, I'm flexible, I'm strong, I'm lean, I've got a decent amount of muscle on me. So I'm a generalist in fitness, but the thing that I think really helped me to stand out is I was able to combine that knowledge and that experience with my backgrounds in writing and business. So the fact that I was able to take my base of fitness skills, combine that with the background and the skills I developed in writing and communication to help solve problems for people in a unique and interesting way, and then put on top of that 
the years I, I spent studying marketing, direct response marketing, copywriting, and all that. Again, not the best in the world in any one of these things, but they allowed me to more or less skip ahead, skip in line. I don't want to make make it seem like this is some quick and easy shortcut. I spent a lot of time developing these skills, but I was able to skip ahead or zip past people who were objectively better than me at many specific fitness skills, people who could lift heavier than me, who were leaner than me, who have won bodybuilding competitions. I was able to gather more attention and really make a successful business in an area where many of these people continued to struggle because I wasn't caught up on being the best at anything. I was I was more concerned about being different and unique. And it's easier to be different and unique with a set of skills and attract attention that way than it is to constantly strive for that number one spot, which even if you hit it, which is microscopically slim the chances of that happening you're probably not going to hold on to it for that long i think it's i think it's ultimately a pretty losing game unless you really have an early and fortunate you know both genetic and head start and formal training so that is the way to think about it you kind of have these foundational skills you know the things you're passionate about you're interested in then you have you have the these other layer of skills of, of things that are going to be useful for pretty much everybody like everybody should should have a study in logic. Everybody should have a study in persuasion and basic people skills. Unfortunately, most people don't. But skills that are forced multipliers that, that are just going to make everything you do better and easier. And then you have certain niche or specific skills that might need to fill in the gaps or make connections. So, for example, I was good at writing and, and good at fitness, but I needed a, a connector skill. And that would have been marketing. I had to learn about advertising and copywriting and, and this project that I'm doing of pushing forward this idea of generalism is just to get people to be like, oh, you know what? That's kind of what I've been thinking all along, but I just I just never thought of it like that. Or, oh, yeah, that's me. And I just never really, you know, I never really put it together. And that's a lot of the response that I've gotten from, from many people. It's kind of like uh, the beginning of our conversation here. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm really inventing anything. If it, I think at most I'm just making explicit what has always been the reason for most people's success anyways and trying to clear away the confusion and this status quo advice is conventional wisdom that hyper-specialization is the key to success. It certainly has never been that in my life. There's, there's a lot, definitely a lot to, to think about but there. I think that a message which I, I, I loved from the book and, and I've heard you talk about this quite a few times is, is this idea that perfectionism isn't your friend i i love this idea so much and and in some ways it's almost the enemy of achievement what do you what what is it specifically that you mean by this yeah so there was a person in, in one of my online groups today who i think offers a nice example of this of what of what the enemy is right and it tends to it tends to manifest in i hate that word manifest i hate when i use that word so you have to forgive me guys but it tends to <laughs> It, it, it tends to become very visible in this sort of all-or-nothing mindset where people set out to achieve a goal, whether it's in fitness or music, and they have this ideal in their head of, of exactly how they should go about achieving this. And this ideal is – it might even be realistic a lot of the time, but perhaps it's not realistic all of the time. So then they get into this habit of all or nothing where they say either I, I have to do this workout exactly as it is. I have to follow this program exactly as it is or I'll do nothing at all. 
And this was exactly the conversation that went on in one of the groups today where somebody's doing a, a particular fitness challenge and there's a, a program and they were having a really hard time getting started on this because they, they're tired, they didn't sleep well or, or whatever. So they're like, how am I ever going to do this workout today? How am I ever going to get this done? And my group, to their credit, chimed in and, and offered the, the advice that I give in my book is like, hey, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress here. Instead of all or nothing, think along the lines of always something. And we often create these very large barriers of entry that really are not our friend and really are not necessary. So what I would recommend people to do is, yeah, aim high. You want, you want big goals. Big goals are exciting. But also be quick to forgive and lower those barriers to entry. Okay, maybe you're not going to do 300 kettlebell swings today. Maybe, yeah, maybe you did have a really poor night's sleep. But there's some number of some activity that you can do. So bring down that barrier of entry to wherever it needs to be to just get started. Maybe it's maybe it's 10 kettlebell swings. Maybe it's a 10-minute walk. Whatever it is, you need to register a win, not a loss. You need to do something rather than completely abandon the project. And a lot of it is playing a psychological trick. You want to make sure that you, you can check off that you actually did something because if you don't, then your confidence goes down. You, you sort of feel like a failure, and that's, that's utterly unnecessary because there's always – something that can be done and if i'll give another example you know i I do a ton of writing obviously but it's it's not like my life is i have three kids i have another on the way i often don't get great sleep right book book promotions and everything i'm doing are tremendously draining so it's not like i wake up every morning super chirpy put on my coffee crack my knuckles and crank out three thousand words you know a lot of it is oh man babies are up teething all night ran out of coffee, super low energy. How am I ever going to get this writing project done? That's the more realistic thing. Well, what I do is I, I lower the barrier to and Okay, I have a 3,000-word assignment, but I feel awful. But you know what? I bet I can write one paragraph. I bet I can, I can do that. I absolutely can do that. So let me, just, let me just get started. And then a lot of the time what happens when you trick yourself into getting started is you just keep going anyways. Okay, maybe I'll just do 10 kettlebell swings. Well, next thing you know, you've had a really good 15 to 20-minute workout. You just needed to get over this idea of being perfect. Now, sometimes not. Sometimes I'll write three really scraggly paragraphs, and, and that'll, be it. <laughs> that'll be it for me for the rest of the day. But I'll still feel good knowing I got something done rather than abandoning the project and it keeps the habit going it keeps the disposition in the direction that you want it which is always something rather than all or nothing which really as you i I think properly identify comes from this 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 enemy of perfectionism which is absolutely for most people you know antithetical to any sort of real tangible progress or success in life i I absolutely love that and i I was really intrigued by this way of thinking because I, I can relate to it myself I mean sometimes throughout the week maybe if I, if I really can't be bothered to go to the gym or something or I'm going with someone and they expect me to go for you know a two-hour session of one rep max training or something like that and I'm just like oh man I I can't but then if I convince myself I'm thinking you know what that's like you said let's lower the barrier of entry let's just go and if anything just do a you know a half hour session or something like that and then like you said it you know it keeps the habit going um and I absolutely love that way of thinking and and that was why I was so drawn to the book because this idea of generalism is is I think it's all I've always been you know I've had an advocate of it or at least I've people have told me that um sometimes they've criticized me for it you know said you know why do you have so many things on the go because i've i've 
tried you know podcasting i've been in bands uh, martial arts things like that and you know a lot of people think this way due to books i mean what's that you know the one thing by gary keller um you know a lot of people are big proponents of that book and i i never resonated with it really um so what would you say to these types of people who have been wired to think through books like the one thing by gary keller that specialize in is the only way forward yeah, well, I think the way, the right way to think about it and to strike a balance without totally throwing specialization out is just think of specialization as a tool rather than an end, right? Like, rather than being a hyper-specialist or trying to be the best in the world at any one thing, just use specialization as a technique because the truth is if you want to get good to great at a lot of things, you do need to focus. You do need to have periods where you're going to say, okay, I really want to get better at the drums. So I'm going to make sure that I dedicate a certain amount of time every day, my best energy and attention to improving this skill. Because if you try to do everything at once, you, you'll go in circles. You, you'll, you're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to quit. So the idea is you should short-term specialize. You want to kind of surge in one or maybe two directions at a time and focus on maintaining everything else. And then as you develop that skill to whatever level is sufficient or you know wanted, you then switch emphasis. You'd be like, okay, I'm I'm pretty good at the drums now. I'm happy with my level of skill there. Time to time to learn the piccolo or whatever. So I'll I'll keep playing the drums, but it's not going to be my main area of focus anymore. I'm going to make myself more of a well-rounded musician, and or maybe I'll learn producing or things like that. The cool thing about skills is they tend to be sticky. There, once you have developed skills, it's a lot easier to maintain them or even regain them if they drop off slightly than it is to get them in the first place i mean think of anything like riding a bike or learning a musical instrument i can go months for without playing the guitar and i can still hop on it and sound pretty good i'm not going to be at my best it'll take me a few weeks to really get all my chops back but it's certainly way less time to do that than it took me to learn the guitar in the first place same thing with fitness right if you try and accomplish everything at once you're going to be you know you're just going to be confused and you're probably not going to go anywhere take fat loss and muscle gain two mutually conflicting goals except for people who are completely new to the fitness game but if you're if you're not a total beginner the smart approach is to focus on one while maintaining the other okay i'm going to focus on leaning out while making sure i just hold on to as much muscle and strength as possible and then once i'm sufficiently lean i'm happy with that i'm then going to switch emphasis okay now i'm going to try and maintain my body fat while putting on as much strength and muscle as possible so it's this conjugated periodization where i have these phases of specialization going you know really deeply really aggressively in one or two areas at a time maintaining everything else and then throughout the course of a year five years ten years you know i might seriously develop a level of expertise and mastery over a course of many different skills and that's just cool you know that's what being a human is about you know humans specialization is really for the insects what's amazing about humans is that we can generalize. We can understand and learn so many different things and so many different skills. What an awesome and unique capacity. So, so to not explore that and not take advantage of that to at least some extent, I think would be a, a you know an insult to your humanity. I mean, there's so many awesome things in life to explore, to improve at, to practice, to enjoy, to, to artificially restrict yourself to just one thing, I think will probably lead to greater unhappiness because you'll always be ego comparative, right? Like I was with the guitar. Oh man, I'm not as fast as Paul Gilbert. I can't sweet pick as fast as Ingve Malmsteen. So rather than being able to appreciate these specialists, which I can now and learn from them, it was always just kind of like sick 
ego comparative game that, that I would always play. But then once you give that up and you don't care about being the best at anything, you're free to really enjoy and learn and, and relish in so many different skills in life. And if success is what you want, I mean, you can, you know, monetarily or, or in terms of health or, or, you know, that's a whole different conversation of how we should measure success. But certainly many different measures of success are very, very much achievable as a generalist to begin with. So those are just a few ways I'd start to make the argument. It's interesting what you said, where you said to focus on one to two areas in the skill stacking process. Should we ever focus on any more than that, or is that about the 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 the, the bliss point type thing? It's going to depend on the skill. So I, I, you know, when you're talking about such a such a wide range of human activities, it's hard to be uber precise. I mean, there's some skills that are perfectly that are totally mutually agreeable that just really play well together. Um, take different musical instruments, for example, right, where one, one activity isn't necessarily going to conflict with the other and it might actually enhance it. But then there's other skills that are absolutely conflicting. Go back to the fitness example. Or, you know, if you want to really be a, a, an awesome power lifter, you, should, you might not want to at the same time try and be an incredible marathon runner. doesn't mean that you can't or shouldn't run when you're, when you're, when you're lifting, but you might want to limit what you do to make sure you get the best results in one area. So it's something that you really have to consider skill by skill and, and piece by piece. But in terms of energy and dedication, yeah, I think having one or two areas of, of primary focus and then whatever else you're interested in and in, in, in kind of maintenance or even slight improvement mode is one of the best ways to go about it. Hmm. And aside from um, the obvious and the examples you've given already, are there any influences you've had in your life or moments along your journey that have had the most profound effect on you so far? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really good question. And the answer is definitely yes. It's just hard to even think where to start. I mean, some of them were negative beginning out. So I, I you know, I'm somebody who wasn't naturally inclined to much of anything. So I think that's why generalism is appealing to people and why people are so receptive to the message. Because let's be honest, if you want to be a hyper specialist, if you want to be the best in the world, I mean, a lot of that is just going to depend on factors that are beyond your control, you know? Did you get early training as a kid? Do you have the right genetics? Are your fingers a certain length to play the guitar? Things that you can't necessarily control. Now, that is in no way to downplay the importance of human responsibility and choice, which is, you know, utterly significant. But it's just it's just recognizing some basic facts of, of reality. Um, I can't really say I have much of a genetic advantage in anything that I've so far discovered. <laughs> Certainly not. Um, I grew up very overweight, very unhealthy. It's the general trend of my family. Uh, so for me, generalism was, was appealing when I really started thinking about this and for other people because you can have success without having to be totally lucky, if that makes sense. And when when I, you know, one of the first things that, that changed uh, my direction in life was just having a doctor say, hey, like, dude, you're really overweight. If you don't start doing something about this, you know, there's got to be serious health co- health consequences down the line. So that was that was one – I don't even remember this doctor's name, but she'll always stick with me as somebody who really changed the trajectory of my life, got me interested in, in fitness and, and martial arts, then various martial arts coaches throughout the years, uh, you know, seeing people who really took – radical responsibility for their lives uh wanted to develop in virtue which was which was really um interesting to me what it really meant to live a good life 
Uh, I saw a lot of that in my martial arts mentors and coaches, my background being in Taekwondo, but I have experience in a couple other disciplines as well. Uh, Various musicians over the years, you know, my guitar instructors, my business coaches. So I guess the general point is I have had mentors and coaches with me pretty much every step along the way. They have been utterly indispensable. I just just would not have done anything that I've done, written any of the books that I've written if if I didn't have people there molding me, shaping me, directing me along the way. You you mentioned briefly about factors that are sometimes out of our control and something that we can't practice, and that's something that I've always I've always thought about. But people see you as being cynical sometimes when you talk like that. I mean, some examples that come to the top of my head. You think of someone. Let's think of the MMA world, for example. You have someone like Alistair Overeem, someone who's trained their entire life. Um, at perfecting martial arts and then you have someone come along like Francis Ngannou who's been in the game like three to five years and just possesses that natural power to just negate that all of that talent is that something you think people need to recognize more and, and stop seeing as just a cynical view that you know some people naturally have more ability than others yeah, it's it's one of these things that's not an either or, it's a both and, and I think people are, are childish about it in, in both directions. One is they're very cynical, like you said, and, and really what they're doing is just they're just making an excuse to not take responsibility for their lives, which is just unacceptable. The other, the other childish view is that, <laughs> that there isn't any facts of reality that uh, are beyond our control. Of course there are. Of course there are. You know, your, your, your genetic, invi- your genetic in- inheritance, your environmental influences, how your parents raised you, the kinds of coaches you had, like all these things are, are matters of often great fortune for people. So, you know, I think the, the right answer is somewhere in the middle. You, you realize that you know certainly some people have just born advantages environmental advantages that other people have but that doesn't in no way negates your your role to take responsibility for your life to affect the changes that you can change to make the best of the hand that you've been given uh, to develop yourself in the greatest capacity to your capacities so i think that's the way that people need to think about it and and you're right it's a, it's an interesting observation people tend to fall kind of on the two extremes where where one person will 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 just deny that there are these external factors which obviously isn't true and then the other extreme is people who just want to take no responsibility for their lives whatever and just you know kind of fall into a fatal determinism and i think those two extremes absolutely need to be avoided and and just taking a moderate realistic approach somewhere in the middle is is the right one we've talked about you know the four r's and the necessary uh evils of of skill stacking what would you say are the biggest mistakes of someone trying to follow this approach of of, of skill stacking and generalism? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say we've already we've already mentioned one: trying to do too many things at once. Okay, you need to start with what you're really passionate about and interested in. Something that, even if you don't have to, you feel you could or would dedicate five to eight hours a day practicing, and, and that's where you're going to start to develop discipline. Right? Like I had no discipline growing up until I got really interested in something, guitar, and then martial arts. But if you would have asked me to sit down and practice or study something just, just because it was good, for, forget about it. I would never have done that. But once I, I found something I was interested in that I really wanted to go all the way with, that taught me how to focus, taught me how to grind. It taught me how to really just do the work, which is, which is so essential. Like People just don't know how to sit down and do the work and just grind it out. That's a painful process. So you need to, you need to have the right motivators. You know, to some 
something you're intensely interested in. Some of those motivators can be negative, like the doctor telling me I probably wasn't going to be particularly happy with the way I looked and felt by by the age of 40. Whatever those are, you need to have those in place. And then you can start to really develop yourself uh, laterally as you're doing it, you know, in, in depth or longitudinally. And, you know, that's where you have to search around and, and ask yourself, well, what is really important to me? What, what, what is really interesting to me? Uh, why, why am I going to do this? Because if you're, if you're just haphazard about it, you're just, you're just going to, you're going to quit. You're going to hit a setback. You're going to reach a plateau. You're going to feel tired one morning and then you're going to throw your hands up and that's going to be the end of the endeavor. And I admit that freely of myself. You know, there's a reason I haven't learned any foreign languages at this point. I just don't want to, <laughs> right? I could apply the process to it, but you have to have a level of, of interest uh, to begin with. And now there are other skills that I've developed that I'm not particularly interested in, but they were necessary for me to move forward in the things that I was interested in. I mean, just take some some business skills like analytics and understanding that, like, all that stuff bores me to death, but it was necessary skills for me to really get my business up and going. So the discipline that I developed and the stuff I was really fascinated in uh, carried over to developing skills that, okay, these are kind of boring. I don't enjoy this, but I know I need to get better at it, so I'm just going to sit down and grind it out. You know, things things like that, like producing and music, too. I, I got pretty decent at, at Pro Tools, even though I, I have no interest in it. But it was necessary for me to start putting my music together. So don't try and do everything at once. Have that short-term specialization. Start with what you're most passionate about. Understand your why. And also have the right expectations. You know, it's it's going to take a lot of work, but the investment's going to be worth it. You're also going to hit setbacks. You're going to hit plateaus. You're going to have those days when you feel absolutely de- demotivated and everything is, a, is just, you know, working against you. And, yeah, that goes back to the original part of the conversation. That's those days where you don't let perfection be the, be the enemy of progress. You, you commit to always doing something, whether it's just reading three more pages or one more paragraph, writing one more paragraph, recording one more take, you know, doing a 15-minute walk outside, whatever it is, committing to that process every single day because it's that frequency which is going to build the habit, make sure that you are – in the right disposition and the orientation that you can be successful over the long term, understanding that it's the trend that matters, not necessarily the, the day-to-day fluctuations. And that's, I think that's probably the last mistake. You think of weight loss here, right? You know, your weight goes up and down, you know, sometimes quite erratically from from yesterday to today to tomorrow, but you, you have to keep the trend in mind. It's the overall trend that we're looking forward to. Well, motivation works the same way. Progress in any skill works the same way. Some days are just going to be better than others, but if you keep at it, you work the process, the results will come, and, and, and having patience and trusting the process, I think, is absolutely critical. Beautiful. I mean, we've talked a lot about uh, generalism and minimalism, and that has obviously been the theme of this podcast so far, and I think it's been some incredible value. But a question we always like to ask is uh, to our guests is what skills they think are going to become important in the future. Um, so an example of this, we spoke to uh, the director of Nike and, and she told us that imagination was going to be a, a really big skill moving forward. Uh, are there anything other than these practices you've talked about or any skills that you think will become extremely important yeah, no, I think the skill of generalism, not to be, you know, too <laughs> ironic about it, but the skill of developing skill. We, we live in a world where 
it's really it's it's not like it was before where people had to hyper specialize to succeed because so much of that work is now automated it's outsourced it's the people who can fulfill many different tasks who are adaptable it's the adaptability that is key and that's something that can itself be developed itself that you know learning to learn the skill of acquiring skill to me is is the ultimate survival mechanism because once you have that once you understand process how to grind how to adapt then it doesn't matter like nobody can rob that from you you'll always be able to to it's it's kind of like copywriting in business you know one of my business mentors said hey pat if you learn if you learn to become a good copywriter a good salesperson well then you could you could become broke if you're irresponsible with your money but you never have to worry about being poor because you have a skill that can always generate income so you might want to just take that one as your example i think that that's vitally important one could even draw it out to persuasion but even beyond that just the skill of acquiring skill if you know how to get better at things and you've practiced it you got good at it then you're always going to be able to stack skills for yourself and fill fill whatever roles come along as the world and the economy changes which we absolutely know is is going to happen do you think that there are any processes or any um or any uh, different types of of work we can do on ourselves that make learning uh, these different skills as you talk about a lot easier like for myself I'll give an example I found that my reading got a lot better as my meditation went up and I just found that that my my overall clarity of thought uh, was a lot easier and, it, and the same way in, in the gym I just noticed that I just felt obviously so much better in myself so are there any practices which we can use that make learning these skills easier? Yeah, well, I think you just hit two brilliant ones, and, and these would be the foundational skills that I talk about in the book, things like logic, things like meditation and prayer. And, and the reason those are really important is, is if nothing else, they just teach you how to focus. And, and we live in a world today where people are, are addicted to their smartphones. They can't stay on one page of material for more than 15 seconds. So if that's the way your brain's operating, if you're constantly in this sort of panic mode of, oh, What's that notification? What's of course you're going to have difficulty learning because you can't sit still. You don't. You have no clarity. You have no headspace. So you know logic will help you to think in straight channels, but you also need the skills of, of focus and 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 sort of single mindedness, clarity to be able to really do the work, especially when things get tough. Right? It's when it's when you have to kind of grind through a knotty problem. That's when you start looking for escape hatches and you start to lose focus. It's easy to stay focused when you're reading an entertainment story or watching an entertaining video but can you stay focused when things get boring tough and tedious and the answer is for most people not even close they just they immediately abandon the project so that's where something like meditation is enormously useful because you're really just sitting there uh, and you're allowing thoughts to come you're not trying to fight them you're not trying to resist them you're acknowledging them and you're just not feeding them so much energy you're really practicing how to focus and that's going to carry over into everything now on top of that exercise is going to help you know just having uh, better health uh, making sure that you're going to you're going to have more energy as well uh, and exercise is a is a practice of focus as well. Like just don't sit there and text between sets, right? Just like don't be constantly trying to distract yourself. So I would just echo your sentiments right there. I think those are two really powerful practices that people can use. And there's other ones in, in my book if they want to dive into it. But like if nothing else, yeah, you get a good 
practice of focus, meditation, and an exercise routine, you're going to probably see enormous improvements in all areas of life. What would you say? Because we have a lot of uh, very young people uh, that listen to the show. Our average age is from 18 to 30. And a common thing which we all see is is this uh, so, uh, mobile phone in hand all the time. What, what would you say to the people that, that just crave this dopamine hit of getting a text, a call, an email? What do you think about this 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 millennial era of, of not being able to put a phone down? Yeah, I mean, where to start? I think it's a huge, huge issue. I mean, so I have I have kids right now, so this is something that, that my wife and I have been thinking about a lot. And look, look, I'm, I'm not innocent of it either. I've often caught myself being on my phone and, and checking notifications and emails far, far more often than is necessary or needed. So it's like trying to break any other habit. Sometimes you might need a little bit of external help. Sometimes you might have to have somebody literally just take your phone away, lock it up somewhere, right? Like your computer. Like Part of, part of breaking a habit is just environment, changing your environment. So if, if the phone's around, just like if you have junk food around the house, right? Like why set yourself up for temptation? Why set yourself up for failure? The first thing is to understand that it is a problem. You said dopamine hit, right? It's, it's feeding a very like sort of narcissistic part of our brain in some sense like oh who's paying attention to me who's liking me? like that alone is unhealthy like that's not a character trait that you want to develop uh also you know the fact that you cannot focus you cannot pull away from your phone is very very unhealthy very unproductive behavior so first like acknowledge it and i think we all suffer from it to a degree some more than worse see that it's a problem then understand why change is important and then from there depending on the degree of severity and i think for for many young people it's it's quite severe i mean you take a phone away from a young person they start fidgeting right they start looking they don't know what to do with themselves that's a problem that's a that's a serious psychological problem that that is that merits you know a much greater conversation by itself but it's not unreasonable to suggest that okay maybe you need to call in some reinforcements here hey mom dad you know if if you're still living at home or your your girlfriend or your wife or whatever i know i don't need this phone like here's an idea like swap it out for a pager if you need somebody to get to get a hold of you so i have hard blocks on on some of my equipment as well where you know i only have certain email for me as sort of my bane you know sometimes obsessively or compulsively checking email make sure I'm not missing anything out today so i have that blocked except for certain periods of the day so sometimes having hard restrictions in place is the best way to start in the same sense that okay i'm just going to throw all the junk food out of my house and make it really difficult for me to to fail you know put success in your way not failure and and i get it you know so many people are so dependent on the electronic devices that it is getting harder from a practical standpoint to disconnect but you can at least severely limit it and still get by so it's a tough problem but i think just first increasing awareness and then setting some hard boundaries getting some help is one of the best ways to begin yeah absolutely agree and i think my favorite way it's ever been put was on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast with Elon Musk and Joe asked him you know when do you think we're gonna merge with AI and technology and he said well we already are we're already part cyborg I mean our phone has become an extension of who we are and I think that I think that was a beautiful way to put it it really has it's 
become like a part of people's identity, which is really weird, right? It's like if you take away their phone, it, it, they feel like you've taken away a part of themselves. That's not healthy. That's not normal. It's not normal psychological behavior, friends. <laughs> no, exactly. It's it's interesting as well with what you mentioned about the the emails because I've noticed that as our podcast has grown and grown, that I have this horrible tendency at the minute where I'm just constantly in this flow of checking emails, and and I've read different um different like ideas like at one time I remember when I was working in in an office job I set my inbox name to OPP. To other people's problems and and there are like different different other ways where i think like with like access uh, uh, sorry outlook you can schedule your emails to come through at like 3 p.m but but i have really got into this this horrible horrible flow of of just checking and i think the reason is because every time i see a positive reply like as as you obviously went when the email was confirmed that i just i just light up so much from obviously the dopamine hit and everything what, what advice would you give to that? Yeah, well, you're aware of it, so that's a huge step. And look, I was I was there as well myself, and I don't want to say I'm completely free. Like, everybody likes a compliment, right? There's nothing There's nothing wrong with that. The, the problem is when does it become excessive? When, do, when does it start interfering in your life in a negative way to the extent that, like, yeah, you need this, right? So, so you know, that's, that's a little vague. That's hard to say. But it's kind of like you know it when it's happened as well. And I was there with social media a couple of years ago. So I would say my problem with email now isn't so much um, – verification for myself like it was with social media now it's like i'm sure this is probably true for you guys like i have a lot of different threads out with some you know some pretty important people and like i just don't want to miss a message from these people you know what i mean (laughs) it's just like i don't want to miss this connection i don't want to blow this deal or whatever so it's kind of it's funny i think i've successfully overcome to a large extent you know requiring the the dopamine or the verification and i think part of it too is just like you know, it you kind of it kind of gases out after a while, and you realize, okay, this isn't the meaning of life. This is the source of happiness, and I still enjoy it. I really appreciate when people say things nice about me, but but you know, my ultimate fulfillment in life is not coming down to whether I get you know five thousand likes on an Instagram post every day or not. If it is, that's that's a bigger problem. I need to I need to do some deeper reflection there. But then there's this other one too, where it's kind of you know uh, coming from a fear basis where it's like oh man like the whole like all these things that could possibly go wrong if i'm just not checking my email every 20 to 30 minutes and both of these are unhealthy right so whether it's needing verification from a bunch of people you don't know on the internet or you're afraid that the world's going to end if you miss a message from you know whoever you're talking to and the first step to fixing any problem is 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 awareness right and just just being able to note it and that goes back to where meditation again is so useful right you sit there in meditation and if you (laughs) believe me like if you haven't done meditation and you have a phone or electronic device addiction you're going to be 30 seconds in there and you're going to be thinking, oh, I should check my phone. You might not even think it. Like it just might be an unconscious response, right? But then what you can do is you can start to note it and you start to become aware of it. And once that happens, you can start stop. You can stop 
reacting to it. That's the key, right? To, to break this pattern of reactivity. And, it, and that's where people are with the electronic devices these days. It's just so automatic and reactive. And I think you need some isolated practice of meditation to start to become aware of and detect these thoughts and feelings so you can begin to unwind it and start to respond rather than react. Oh, okay, there's that impulse again. Oh, okay, there's that me thinking about my phone again. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take a you know a couple deep breaths and I'm just going to wait that you know allow that feeling to reside. So people might be like, well, that sounds pretty extreme. Well, look, I think the I think the problem is pretty extreme. <laughs> sometimes you have to take extreme measure, and it's not that extreme. It's actually pretty simple. But sometimes if you know you have to be willing to, it, it, I think people are past the point of rescue in terms of just like telling them to put down their phones. I think people are are in a state of unhealthiness where positive measures need to be taken to break the addiction in the sense that they're 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 just mentally obese, psychologically obese in a sense the same thing like okay, you're 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 overweight, we need to get you in the gym, we need to start cook, watching your diet and I think yeah, something like meditation once you have awareness over it is probably going to be one of the best tools it certainly was for me. Pat, we've talked in incredible detail tonight about your ideas and and your views. And I've on I can honestly say it's been you know one of my favorite conversations we've had on the show so far and, and very relatable to myself and uh, I love the detail we've gone into um, but as always we like to end the podcast by asking if you could distill your message down to just one short message or one quote what would that be? Yeah, don't worry about being the best in the world. Focus on getting good to great or even at least fairly competent at a lot of different things. And use those skills in combination to form competitive and creative advantages in life. Wow. We can't thank you enough. Where can our followers reach out to you, Pat? Yeah, um, lots of different places. Uh, my email list is probably one of the best ways to – I send about a daily email uh, on all kinds of different topics. So it's very generalist, a lot of fitness, a lot of philosophy, a lot of skill development. Uh, you can join right at my website, chroniclesofstrength.com. There's a little sidebar where you can get 101 free kettlebell workouts for joining. So I would head over there, and especially if you're in the fitness or kettlebells, I think you'll really enjoy that little bonus for getting on my email list. Completely free and then you'll get some of my best content there. Also, just on chroniclesofstrength.com, you'll find my blog, links to my podcast. It's called The Pat Flynn Show, which you can just find that on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else separately. And uh, the book, you can get that anywhere, any major bookstore. Uh, Amazon's probably the easiest for most people these days. So those would be those would be the main spots. That's, that's, that's amazing. We can't thank you enough for your time. Do you have any final messages you'd like to share? Uh, no, I think we really covered it, guys. This has been great. I, I would just reiterate those key points that have been so transformative and powerful in my life. Don't worry about being the best in the world. Don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. Make sure you lower those barriers to entry and enjoy yourself, right? The process is tedious at times, but it, it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be fun. You can, you know, happiness, a lot of what happiness is, is engaging in and enjoying genuinely good activities. So have patience, trust the process, and enjoy yourself as much as you can along the way. Pat, this has been amazing. From from Lewis, myself, and all listeners, we can't thank you enough. This has been incredible. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it.